BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 57. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing all right, Brennan. How are you doing? Oh, I am good. Um, I am really, really looking forward to getting into the hauntings of New Orleans. Oh, well, hard not to. We've talked about this episode, I think for the better part of two years now. Yeah. Yeah. And just had never gotten around. It's one of those major haunted cities. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about, uh, pardon me, rather, we've told stories from New Orleans, but never done a whole episode. So I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Before we get to it though, there's, there's a couple things we need to address. The first being last episode. Oh, Brennan. So if you listen to last episode, you'll know last episode was uh, listener stories. Yeah. And there was a listener story that took place in the Philippines. It did. Where they speak Tagalog. Tagalog. Sure. I think it's Tagalog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but Ian was struggling with the pronunciations. So, Obviously. <laughs> yes. So I decided to insert some natural speakers saying the words that Ian was going to say. In the language. In the language. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. In the language. And um, we've done this before. We did this on the Faye episode where we had an Irish guy for who we hired on Fiverr. Yeah. Say the words or say the word that um, we, we couldn't, couldn't say. say. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, okay, this is just a natural progression of that joke. But, it, you know, it, I kind of forgot that was 30 episodes ago. Right. Not <laughs> everyone has been with us that long. That's it. So I, when I pasted these things, also I didn't level the volume very well, uh, but when I pasted these things and we put it out there, a lot of people thought that these were audio anomalies. Or it scared them and they almost drove off the road. Yeah, that's it. I got a few of those. Emails. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so I just want to say, I'm, I apologize for that. I, we could, not could, we should have introduced that gag better. We, we, and we will from now on. Yes. We have if, learned our lessons. Yes, absolutely. So I apologize to anyone we unduly scared. I mean, yes. we want to creep you out, but we don't want you to die in a fiery car wreck. No. Or in the case of another person, um, I think they, they couldn't sleep at all oh, the rest of that night. Oh, no. So, 
my sincere apologies. That was just a, a bad joke that didn't land. We just, I, I, I think it was the setup. We just have to. We do didn't a set it up. Job no, it was one of those kind of late, late in the game yeah. ideas. That and you late just, at night. Yeah, yeah. You just throw in <laughs> thinking, oh, this is hilarious, but. Not everyone gets the context. No. So. We're sorry. Yes, we are very sorry for anyone we may have terrified there. And we promise to introduce it better in future should we do that. But we want to thank everyone for taking the time to write in. We certainly yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for letting us know. And I mean, if nothing else, it's it's nice knowing there's so many folks out there paying attention. <laughs> True. You know, because, I mean, we get, you know, a fair bit of email anyways. And it really just ramped up oh, yeah. in the days after the release of that episode. And at first I thought, oh, great, people are really... Then I saw, okay, no, no, I, I dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> okay. Like, oh, they really enjoyed the... Oh, I see what it's about now. Nope, yeah. I am not as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so that out of the way, mm-hmm. you are headed off on vacation soon. I am, Saturday. That is exciting. It is. Going off to LA. Nice. And San Diego. And then a little boat ride. So how does that boat ride work? This is a repositioning cruise. Repositioning cruise. So basically the ships spend all their time in the winter going from LA uh, down into Mexico. Right. And doing those week-long cruises. And then come spring, April, May, they literally reposition themselves in Seattle and Vancouver. And they do the Alaska run until October. I see. And then they will reposition again and go the other way again. Right. Okay. So this is uh, Princess Cruise Lines. Moving their boat from LA to Vancouver. Ah, and they sell tickets because they may as well offset the cost. Yeah, and they take a little longer. I mean, if they wanted to, they could boot up here in, you know, 12 hours or something. It wouldn't take that long. Um, So this is three days. Like you get on at like one one o'clock on Saturday and you're getting off the boat 7 a.m. Tuesday. Okay. So it's really day. Yes. Okay. So it's really kind of a day and a bit you're getting on on board but right it's just at sea there's no stopping there's no okay i mean I, i'm no. hoping they feed us to be honest <laughs> it just... feels like one of those things that you want to figure out beforehand well i'm up for the adventure that reminds me a couple of years ago i did an, a series of articles on traveling via freighter oh i've i'm curious about that yeah it sounds like a real pain in the ass yeah it's not the kind of vagabond lifestyle you think it's going no, to be it is, quite it's awful. No, it is rather a premier kind of travel. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I won't get into that now. So, um, as for me, I have just come back from Vancouver. I was yes. overseeing my friend who's yeah. now out of hospital and receiving outpatient care. Yay. Yeah. That's awesome. Pretty cool stuff. So, yeah. nice to see them back on the mend. Yeah. And I think that's about it. I, I had to deal I, with your ill kitty. Oh, yeah. Our cat Chewy, she, uh, I think it was Thursday because we, yeah, Thursday because we were going to leave Friday. Right. We ended up having to delay by a day, but she just, yeah, she started, she was ill and she was Mm. not behaving as she ordinarily would. Yeah. So I rushed her up to a vet and, uh, just seemed like she was dehydrated. Wow. They gave her subcutaneous fluid. They gave her some anti-inflammatories. She can't party like she used to, right? No, I'm telling you. (laughs) But I mean, by the time, even honestly, by the time I got her to the vet, she was more mobile. And by the time I got her home from the vet, after she was, like, she was pretty much back to oh, normal. Oh, good. So it was a, it was a two hundred dollar <gasps> trip. Yes. Wow. But uh, she is okay. And wow. then once we sort of watched her for a day to make yeah. sure she was stable, yeah, then we you, then were fine you going you over had to Vancouver. That. Good. Uh, where I did have before we get to the stories, I, I got to say I did have a, a failed ghost conversation. <laughs> Not just failed, shut down. Oh, shut down. Yeah. yeah no, this yeah. was this was me driving to the hoop. And just the ball was swatted out of my hands. Yeah. So there's a, a, a late night place I like to go to. 
it was quite late. It was busy though, you know, quite a few people there. And it's always the same waiter, always right. the same guy working. And I noticed the music would periodically rise in volume. And you'd have to go into the back, turn it back down, come back out. So finally I asked him and he said, oh, he said something just likes turning up the music. He said, it's only certain songs, only sometimes. Wow. But he said, it turns up on its own and you just kind of got to deal with it. And so I thought, well, that sounds like a great intro to a ghost conversation for me. Yeah. I mean, because one, I love the stories. Yeah. And two, you're writing a book on the ghost of Vancouver. Yes. So I thought, well, it's great be... to have the diner in there. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So I, I try, I sort of, you know, how you, you tell a little bit about yeah. your, your own experience. Prime the so, pump. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I told him a little bit about Floyd's, that uh, diner not far from my apartment right. and just shut down. Just hardcore. Wow. The end. No. Um, Here's it, your check. Have a good night. And I, so I tried one more time. I tried to do kind of slightly different tack. Nope. Nothing. Cause it happened again. Oh. So I thought, okay, well, second occurrence. This is a great opportunity. Nope. Nope. Just that professional server, uh, sort of, you know, what do you call it? The facade. Yeah. Just comes down like a, Boom. like a bank teller window. Yeah. Slam. Yeah. Nope. Wow. We are not having this conversation. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. So I was denied ghost stories from Vancouver, <laughs> sadly. So much depends on who's working, when they're working, how they're feeling. That's, yeah. And yeah. what kind of mood they're in. Absolutely. Yep. But we may not have Vancouver stories. I was going to say, but if you have some Vancouver stories and you think they'd be good for a book, please send them in. I would love to hear them. Yes, of course. Just because Brennan can't get the diner stories doesn't mean you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you do have some Vancouver stories, make sure to send them into good old Ian here at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. I'd be grateful. He will absolutely uh, credit you in his book. Absolutely. All right. So <laughs> we do not have Vancouver stories, but we do have a whole episode's worth of New Orleans stories. Yes. A far stabbier, far shootier city, <laughs> if ever there was one. <laughs> So, coming up after the break, haunted stories from the Crescent City. Welcome back. As we said before the break, today is all about the haunting of New Orleans. Very cool. Have you been to New Orleans? I have not. Really? I want to. My ghost uh, tour list includes Savannah, Georgia. Of course. Edinburgh, Scotland. Right. And New Orleans. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. Of those, I have only been to New Orleans. Okay. Um, uh, Savannah, I was heading there with a friend when we did our big cross-country yeah, road trip, yeah. but... Didn't we had to cut it out of the itinerary. We just didn't have the time. But you've been a couple of times or just once? To New Orleans? Yeah. Uh, four times? Five four times? times? Yeah, I thought four. it was a few times. Yeah. I uh, Well, the very first time I went to New Orleans was 2008. So only really three years after Katrina. Right. And I got there via train. I took the Amtrak from Seattle to Chicago. Right. And then from Chicago to New Orleans. And uh, I remember getting off the train in Chicago and saying to the guy I'd been talking to, this uh um, construction worker from Indiana said, man, it's hot. And he looked at me, he said, hot and you're going to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> and then I got off the train in New Orleans and, uh, yeah, I didn't, but I wanted to. Yeah. And really that visit to New Orleans for me set the tone mm. of my interactions with that city. Wow. So I got to New Orleans mid afternoon, right? Hot as hell. Yeah. 
Call, I was thinking about walking to the to my hotel from the train station. Not happening. Called the cab. Sat back in relative air conditioned mm-hmm. silence. Once I was all checked in, I wandered into the French Quarter for a beer. First bar I wandered into was completely empty. There was this heavy set gal behind the counter, so I ordered a beer and I just sat there at the bar, and she seemed kind of down. And so I, I said to her, I said, "What's up? What's on your mind?" And uh, she said, "Ah, oh, I just had these kids in here." And I guess they were in here partying last night with one of their friends. That friend got into someone's car to buy weed. They haven't seen him since. Oh my God. And she said, they're not going to see him ever again. No. And she said, you know, I'm from Montana and at least back home when someone kills you, they have a reason. Wow. And really that, that set my, the tone for my yeah. interactions with New Orleans because a couple of days later I was on an organized tour and, uh, this gal said to me, she was this big, heavy set lady from the South and she had a frozen bottle of water. She kept sticking under her armpits. <laughs> Someone said, um, where can we go? Where can't we go? And cause I think, um, New Orleans in that year had a higher murder rate than Los Angeles. Wow. It was an extremely dangerous place. Actually a tour had been the, uh, I guess you'd say like the subject of an attempted robbery. Oh wow. Yeah. They were in St. Louis. Um, I think it was St. Louis number one, the, the, the smaller one, right. not far from the quarter. And someone had come out and presented a gun and, and someone actually thought it was part of the tour. So they shoved <gasps> him. No. Yeah. And the guide said, run. And they all ran, you know, they finally stopped. Uh, I guess the guy looked at this woman and said, what the hell were you yeah, thinking? Yeah. And she was aghast because she thought it was a joke. Oh my God. And the gunman, he was, he wasn't prepared for no, that. No, he wouldn't be. He didn't expect the tourists to fight back. Yeah. Now, is it because it was such a, in desperate straits after I, Katrina? I believe so. Yeah. I, wow. I believe that was a big part of it. Cause I know wow. uh, when I went back there again, uh, I didn't go back there again until 2015. Right. And when I did. The, I stayed in Treme because, uh, I couldn't afford a room in the quarter. <laughs> right. And I, I did some reading and before Katrina, the population of the Treme was about 8,800. After Katrina, it never rose above 4,000. Wow. And you feel that emptiness. Yeah. And, uh, just going back briefly to 208, someone asked this woman, you know, where are we okay? And she, she, in her classic New Orleans way, she said, honey, New Orleans is like Africa. If the gazelles stick together, the lions cannot eat them. She said, New Orleans, you a gazelle. <laughs> you stick with the other gazelles, the lions will not get you. Don't go off anywhere by yourself alone. So a couple of days, or wow, somewhere thereabouts, maybe a day after or so, I had, uh, I was going out to meet with these, this couple I'd met on the train. It was, um, Bill and Frank, right? One of them worked for Amtrak, so they got free, right. free travel. Super cool guys. Yeah. And they invited me out for drinks. So I thought, all right, sounds good. And I was supposed to meet them at this one particular blues bar, but I got lost. Right. And after about 15 minutes of getting lost, I understood what she meant because I realized I was all alone and there was no one and no wow. sound and just shuttered doors, barred windows me in the darkness. Wow. And I, I thought, oh man, I'm dead. I'm a gazelle. Yeah. 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 So I backtracked and I, I found the bar at PDQ, but uh, Jesus, it was scary. Yeah. Different time. Yeah. So when I was there in 2015, I, uh, like I said, stayed in the Treme. I was again, within 24 hours, made aware of a missing persons case. Wow. Uh, it turned out I was staying with a young woman who worked part-time as an assistant for a private investigator. Right. So she was telling me about this one case of a young man who had been dropped off by some family members at a hotel on the highway. 
and all he had to do was take a cab to the quarter the next morning for a bus. Never made Never it. Never made it. And he's just gone. Gone, gone, gone. Wow. So that is my experience of New Orleans. And now I know people who go there have a great time, a yeah. wonderful time. I and know people go a couple times every year. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, and I think it is a gorgeous, wonderful place, but it, it, it does have a dark side. Right. And I, I think... But hasn't it always? It, oh, I'm sure it has. It's always been a city with a dark side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's what's captured so many writers' imaginations sure, and, yeah. and everything else. So, But no, I get what you're saying. It, it's it a modern-day dark side. Yeah, and, and, but it, all that said, you know, I think it's easy to focus on the negative. You know, I, I, did, a, I did an interview with a, sh- a radio show based out of New Orleans right. for my book once. And she said, honey, New Orleans is dead. It just hasn't figured it out yet. No. But... That said, the crime rate has been dropping year after year. I did a little looking before the show. Right. And the crime rate has, in fact, been dropping. Oh, that's cool. You know, I think the murder rate is maybe half of what it was when I was there in Oh, 08. wow. That's so yeah, it's Yeah, it's, it's, it's improving considerably. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think you can write New Orleans off just yet. Right. Good. Uh, but I will say there are something like 316 open missing persons cases in Louisiana. Jeez. So, you know, make well, sure everyone knows where you are. <laughs> Part of the juxtaposition for us is like here... In lower Vancouver Island, I mean, you're more likely to be attacked by a deer than by another human being. I mean, realistically, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. we just have no concept of how safe no. we we have it, even compared to the mainland. So it's it's a wonderful place, but yeah, it's got a real edge. Uh, so I, I'm really fascinated to see what kind of experiences people have had there. Yeah, for sure. So let's get started with the stories. The first one we have is actually a listener story that was sent in. So this one comes from Stephanie. Even though we're Canadian, my sister and I go to New Orleans pretty regularly with our friends and family. My sister even got married there. We've stayed at a few different hotels, but two in particular stand out for creepy happenings. For our 25th birthday, we're twins. We went with a group of friends and family down to New Orleans and stayed at the Place des Armes Hotel. Four of our friends were sharing a room and things got creepy on the first night. Only two of our friends had arrived for the first night and just as our one friend was falling asleep, she heard the chiming of a bell tower outside. She counted the chimes to see what time it was and said she counted 13 and thought, that doesn't sound right, and opened her eyes. She says that standing next to her bed looking at her was a little boy wearing colonial type clothing. She says she just thought, huh, that's weird, rolled over and went to sleep. No panic, no fear, just a shoulder shrug reaction. When she told us the story at breakfast, we told her not to tell the two friends getting in that day since one of them would be petrified and had to stay in that room for the next three nights. So, fast forward to the next day. Everyone partied pretty hard the night before, but now we're getting ready to go to a Saints game. The friend who's terrified of anything paranormal is in the bathroom showering. She says that when she went in, she put her clothes on top of the toilet seat with her still folded towel on top of her clothes, glasses on the back of the toilet, and had her toothbrush and toothpaste on the edge of the tub so she could multitask while showering. I've never been good at that. (laughs) When she reached for her toothbrush, it wasn't there. She glanced through the curtain to the floor next to the tub and didn't see it, and thought, that's weird, but whatever. She turned off the shower, opened the curtain, and found her clothes and toothbrush tossed in a heap on the far side of the room, and her towel spread out smooth in front of the tub. She hustled out of there and refused to be alone in the hotel room the rest of the stay. Nothing crazy happened to my sister and I on that trip, but that hotel is pretty creepy in general. There are no windows in some of the rooms, so they are pitch black once you turn off the lights. So, after hearing those two stories, I kept the lights on all night in my room, because I didn't want to be in bed wondering what was watching me in the dark. 
We've stayed at the Berman Orleans Hotel a number of times. My sister even had her wedding reception there. And even though they advertised their haunted status, there's really only been two incidents that happened to us. Neither was as dramatic as what happened in the Place des Armes. The first story happened to my sister. While she and her fiancé were there, she could not get into her hotel room for the entire trip. Every time she tried to get into her room, she'd swipe her keycard, and the light would blink red and the door wouldn't unlock. She got two new keys. Neither worked for her. She would stand there trying her key a few times in a row while her fiancé watched laughing, and as soon as he took it and swiped, green light and the door unlocked. She had to ask maids to let her in, made her fiancé trade keys a few times, and sat outside her room like a weirdo waiting for him to get back from a bar run because she was too embarrassed to go back to the lobby and ask for yet another key. Anyway, it feels a little strange to call this story paranormal, but unless she had some weird magnetic force around her that only affected her, it's strange that she couldn't get into her room that entire trip. But the hotel was used as a convent at one point, so maybe there was a nun who didn't approve of her sharing a room with her fiancé before they were married. Oh, nuns. <laughs> I have a cousin who's a nun. Did I ever tell you that? No. Yeah, Sister Lita. And is she nice? Oh, she's a lovely lady. Oh. But then I'm, I've never been in any of her classes. You know, I've, she hasn't had to nun me. Oh. So maybe I would feel differently if I was being nunned. Maybe. But yeah. uh, she's never going to listen to the show, so I can say that. <laughs> The other story from the Bourbon Orleans happened to me and feels very New Orleans in nature. It's a little PG-13, so I apologize in advance. That's not it's a problem. totally your kind of story then. Yeah. <laughs> One night as I'm getting ready for bed, I head into the bathroom for a pee and a shower. Just as I sit on the toilet, I catch a movement out of the corner of my eye. I glance over, see nothing, and don't think much of it because sometimes you can see movement in the corner of your eye. No big deal. As I turn my head back, I feel what I can only describe as an ice-cold finger run down my chest from collarbone, down my boob, straight to my nipple, to the top of my stomach, then disappear. Just a straight line, right down. Honestly, except for the ice cold part, it felt like someone using their index finger to draw a line down my chest, pressure and all. I was terrified. But I didn't want to hightail it out of the bathroom and tell my husband, because even though he believes in the paranormal, nothing scares him. So I got undressed. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention I was wearing a shirt and padded bra when I felt the icy finger on my skin, and jumped in the shower to keep my routine. I mean, it was the fastest shower of my life and I kept my back against the wall, eyes wide open, staring at the little bathroom the whole time, but still. Anyways, I got out of the shower, got into bed, kissed my husband and watched Adam Sandler movies all night while telling my husband, now nah, I'm not tired yet, when he kept waking up and asking me to turn off the TV and go to sleep. <laughs> oh man, that's rough, Stephanie. That's, no kidding. That's a lot of, hotels in the quarter are not cheap. That's a lot of money to spend to watch Adam Sandler And all not night. sleep. Yeah, yeah. Holy man. Oh Wow. This next story is called The Sleepwalker. I'm writing to share with you my experience in moving into a very large house in the Lower Garden District in New Orleans. Built in 1895, it looks like something out of an Anne Rice novel. It has two large galleries punctuated by eight large windows and is accented with wrought iron. I live in what used to be a double parlor at the bottom left side of the building, which now is divided into 15 individual apartment units. On my second night in the apartment, I woke at 3 a.m. Oh, 3 a.m. to the sound of heavy feet shuffling in the hallway outside my door. I listened intently as the footsteps slowly made their way from the back of the hallway to my front door where they stopped. They didn't leave through the main door, nor did they go up the stairs. They just ended. I was terrified and dropped my hands and knees to try and get a better look at the feet. By this point, you won't be surprised to know there was no one there. After that, I tried to go back to bed, but I was lightheaded and felt as though something was touching me lightly, causing my hair to stand up. 
A few nights later, my friend Pauline came to the city for a visit. The first night she was there, I dreamed that there was a yellowish, opaque figure next to my bed, and awoke from that dream to hear distinct footsteps in my bedroom. I have never heard my neighbors upstairs and knew that whatever was causing the footsteps was coming from my apartment. Even after wrapping my brain around this, I somehow, miraculously, was able to fall back asleep. The next night was when things began to get very strange. According to Pauline, I had fallen asleep around 1.30 and was snoring loudly for about 30 minutes when I simply got out of bed and walked out of my apartment. She assumed I went to get something out of my car and when I did not return after 10 minutes, opened the window to see where I was. There she saw me, standing naked, just staring at the front of the house. She immediately ran outside to get me, only to have me stare at my front porch and ask, what is this? Why don't I have access to this? I was motioning through the double veranda, which according to one of my friends who worked on the house five years ago, was a post-Katrina renovation. I learned of this two nights ago. Pauline did not know what to say, and ushered me in after collecting the clothes I'd ripped off while outside. Once back inside, I walked to the bathroom and stayed in there for 30 minutes without making a sound, then came out and started going through the dresser in my bedroom. Pauline said that while I was going through my things, she'd asked if she'd somehow done something to provoke this, and I began to berate her, saying that not all things are about her, and told her that I knew the big picture. I called her selfish, and demanded that she not say anything about this incident to me or anyone else in the morning. Then I passed it on my bed and began snoring. Pauline was truly distressed by this, and waited until the end of the next day to bring it up. I am never mean to my friends, nor do I have a history of sleepwalking. My thoughts immediately went to possession, but I'm worried to diagnose the cause so soon. Since that incident, I have witnessed two orbs in my house, have smelled a strong perfume scent from my bathroom when there are no vents and I do not wear any scents, and my two cats will randomly wail at dark rooms. Just last night, I decided to acknowledge its existence and even offered some libations. That seemed to cool the energy, but once again at 3 a.m., I was awakened to sounds in the hallway, followed by the light-headed, skin-raising feeling I get. I lost a lot of sleep, especially when the window wrapping began. I looked, but I could find no source for such noise. Holy man. That's not good. No, I mean, if it's at the if point... If it's messing with you, it's time to move. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, is there some kind of way around that? Is there some way you can forestall that if that happens? That's a good question. I mean, if you start moving around like a freaking puppet, that's terrifying. Well, and you find yourself outside naked? Yeah. No. No, man. I'm moving. Better left unsaid. For most of my life, I considered myself a deeply rational man. I believed in what I could see, hear, and touch. It's not that I didn't believe in the possibility of the paranormal, just that I had never had a convincing experience to change my mind. Then Hurricane Katrina happened. I'm a military policeman in the Air Force Reserves and live in Texas. In the aftermath of Katrina, we were activated by the governor of Louisiana, Kathleen Blanco, and sent to New Orleans. A lot of people think we were there to cause trouble, but that wasn't true. We were there to patrol the streets with food and water and what little medication we had to offer the people of the city. We were volunteers trying to help our fellow Americans. One evening, we were patrolling near the Ninth Ward, yelling out that we were the military police and could offer food, water, and a way out for anyone who needed it. Most of the houses were boarded up with slogans spray-painted on the fronts and sides. They said things like, You loot, I shoot, and You loot, you die. Slowly, some people emerged from their homes and asked for help. We gave them whatever we had and asked them if they needed to be evacuated, but many refused to leave their homes for fear of losing what little they had left. 
Somewhere along the way, I noticed that all the houses on this one particular block had been boarded up, save one. It was a typical southern plantation-style home, which looked like it had been built around the time of the Civil War. Up on the second floor, I saw the figure of a small girl in one of the windows, and I smiled and waved at her, mainly to let her know I was there to help and she had nothing to fear. From what I could tell from the ground, she waved and smiled back, so I called out to her to get her mommy or daddy, but she just stood there staring at me. It was then that a kind of cold shiver ran up my spine. It was my soldier's version of the old comic book Spidey Sense. And you might think I'm being funny, but this is something that has developed over the course of two tours in Iraq and 20 plus years as a sheriff's deputy. When it goes off, I pay attention. Just then, an elderly man on a bike rode up on us, asking if we could help evacuate his family of seven. Of course, I told him we'd be happy to help him out, and then asked if he knew anything about the little girl and her family living in the old plantation home. He looked kind of puzzled, so I told him what I'd seen, and his eyes widened a little. Then he smiled. The old man put his hand on my shoulder. Son, there ain't nobody been living in that house for over a hundred years. I started to protest, but he just shook his head and laughed. He wouldn't answer any of my follow-up questions. The most I could get out of him was, some things about New Orleans are better left unsaid. Wow. Now, I, I gotta be honest, though. I would probably say that to screw with someone. <laughs> oh, you saw the ghost, eh? There are some things mankind is just not meant to know. There's uh, I think I've mentioned this in one of the water cooler episodes. There's a movie called Hell Baby which is set in New Orleans. And it's about a couple who buys a super cheap house and discover that there's something wrong with it. But it's it's a, quite funny. Oh. And it turns out there's a man named Lester who just like lives in their crawl space. And he's played by Keegan-Michael Key of Key and Oh, Pia, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so funny. And at one point he's introducing them to the house and he says, well, around here they call it the Maison du Song. And one of them says, like the husband says, and what does that mean? Oh, the house of blood. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And it's, yeah. So I kind of wonder how many places like that are there. I mean, it it feels like there's a lot of old power there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I know, as we'll see later in the show, there's a lot of, you know, famous hauntings like Madame Lalaurie's house. Yeah. You know, she's said to have tortured and, and murdered many, many slaves mm-hmm. in, in sort of the pursuit of her own dark magic goals. But I, I think just there's something about the place that is just, the whole South really. Yes. I mean, I know the American South catches a lot of shit, and, and some of it I think it deserves. Uh, but, I mean, it's a really beautiful place. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really like Louisiana. I, I After I left the city in 2015 for that conference, I just drove around. I went over to Homa, you know, kind of, yeah, just toured around a bit. And it's a lovely place. Mm. But uh, it's still very heavy. Yeah. Uh, this next one's called The Hitchhiker, which sounds a little cliche. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's the best I could do. Shut your mouth. <laughs> One year, I decided to drive out to New Orleans to surprise some of my friends during Mardi Gras. I crashed out at the Wyndham Hotel, and we had a great time doing all the things you do during the festival. When it was time to come home, I checked out early to get a jump on the morning commuter traffic. It meant getting up way too early, before sunrise, but worked out in my favor as the roads were clear. On long road trips, I usually entertain myself by talking to my girlfriend Carrie, or listening to music via my iPhone. On this trip, my music was turned up to full volume because, of course, Carrie was still back home and I was alone. Or so I thought. Not long after leaving Baton Rouge, heading westbound on I-10 through the wetlands of Louisiana, I became aware of a presence in my passenger seat. In my peripheral vision, I could just about make out the figure of a woman, young, with long, wavy black hair, and wearing the sort of big, round sunglasses that were very in vogue in the 1960s. She was completely silent. 
always looking at the road ahead, never me. Despite being able to see her in my peripheral vision, she disappeared completely if I tried to look straight at her. Instead of continuing on I-10, which would lead me into Houston, I took a right turn onto I-96 in Beaumont, and then left on 105. From that point on, I never saw her again, and I'm left wondering who she was, and why she chose to ride with me out of New Orleans in the middle of the night. Well, I mean, I used to want to go to Mardi Gras. I used to think that would be a really cool thing. And then I went and smelled what Bourbon Street is like <laughs> just regularly. Why vomit? Yo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't pay me to go there during Mardi Gras now. No. I do not do crowds. I'm not big on crowds anyway. So if so I was to go to Jackie Onassis there, I'd be looking to get the <laughs> fuck out of New Orleans too. I wouldn't be a huge fan of drunken drunken uh, crowds. No. 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 I mean, the whole beads thing, you know, like there's appeal there, sure. But not enough to have to deal with that. No, you can catch that kind of stuff on the internet now. Can you? Oh. Oh. Oh, you didn't this know? This is a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me my Apple too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. And it's the second one we've heard about with the peripheral vision. And I think we we touched on that on the last show about peripheral vision being different than our regular vision. Well, yeah, I mean, there have been, I think, actual studies done that show there is a certain amount of ultraviolet sensitivity yeah. at the corners of some people's vision. Well, it's almost it's like evolutionary. a vestigial. It's evolutionary. Yeah, it's a vestigial to, sort of thing. Yeah, we needed to make sure we were going to be eaten from beside us. Oh, no, but this is an actual, uh, not just like a peripheral vision, but a sensitivity to a different light spectrum. Oh, okay. In the corner of the vision. Cool. Which may explain why you can, certain people can see things from the corner of their eye. Yeah. Because they're seeing a slightly different spectrum of light. It even has a name now, the COTAP, the corner of the eye phenomena. Oh, is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, that people say, oh, I experienced COTAP. And Interesting. First, I'm like, feminine hygiene products? What? And then <laughs> I realized, no, COTAP. COTAP, uh, yes. Uh, and then I got it. And then when I learned about that, everything kind of fell into place for me. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, this makes so much more sense. Well, I know in, uh, I want to say the Mothman Prophecies, John Keel talks about this idea that the things we call UFOs come from the ultraviolet spectrum. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, that it's consistent with the burns people experience in situations of, of extreme contact. Right, right. There's almost like a s extreme sunburn, yeah. a radiation burn. Yeah. And it's consistent with, I think he called it actinic radiation, hmm. which if you were, if these creatures were somehow ultraviolet in nature would explain that because contact with them would be actually very bad for you. Oh, wow. So there could cool. be something to that. Yeah. Next one's called Mom. In 2005, I finally managed to move back to New Orleans and rejoin my family after an unhappy stint in Florida, which at the time felt like a positive move. I'd found an apartment relatively easily, and the move was smooth. Then Hurricane Katrina happened, and my parents and I evacuated to my sister's house in Pennsylvania. It was a stressful time, to say the least, and my mom took it the hardest. My sister had a large old house, and mom and dad and I were sleeping downstairs. Them in a bedroom, and I on the living room sofa. My sister slept upstairs. At 4 a.m., I awoke to my sister Heather standing over me and telling me to get up. Frantic, she asked if I heard Mum sobbing loudly, and I said I did not. We went upstairs, and she told me what happened. Earlier, she'd awoke to a sound coming from outside. It was Mum, sobbing and screaming. Heather had looked out her bedroom window and seen Mum leaning against a tree, yelling into her phone. Thinking something was wrong, she ran downstairs and opened the door, but Mum wasn't out there, and everything was silent. Confused, she ran back inside to wake up Dad, and she was shocked to see Mum in bed with Dad sound asleep. That's when she got me up. 
We went upstairs, and she's telling me what's going on. When suddenly we heard Mom sobbing and screaming at the top of her lungs, sounding like she was at the foot of the stairs. We started running down, and when we reached the bottom, everything went completely silent. And I vividly remember the atmosphere. It felt thick and prickly. We went into our parents' bedroom, and both of them were still in a deep sleep. We roused them both and told them what had happened. But to this day, we are unable to explain any of it. I swear to God, if you wake me up in the middle of the night to I tell me... I was thinking th- the same thing. Why couldn't you tell me this in the morning? Yeah, tell me in the morning. This will keep. Yeah, you, you're fine. You're, you're fine. Don't, I, don't draw me into this nightmare. How did I raise such selfish daughters? <laughs> That's right. That would be my question. Deal with your own damn haunting. <laughs> Holy shit. No, that's... Not my damn house. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, you know, we were talking about this a little bit in the break. That the whole idea of having to uproot your life like that yeah. is unbelievable. I, it just, I can't wrap my head around I knew some people who did that. Um, we had relatives who lived in Maryland, and they took in at least three people. From wow. Katrina. Yeah. And one lady lived in their basement for almost a year. Holy smokes. Yeah. And she had had nothing. Of course. Yeah. Away with nothing. Everything was gone. Well, there's a story coming up later where someone has no pictures of their grandmother. Right. Because of the storm. And again, it just, it's hard, never having encountered something on that scale. And I, I hope yeah. and pray I never do. It's just hard to envision that. It's hard to, to put yourself in that place. Well, and everyone just thought the levees would hold. They always had. Right. So to have that sort of devastation wasn't even conceivable. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a really great um, long film. It's called When the Levees Broke. Mm. It's a Spike Lee documentary. And I think it's uh, four parts at an hour apiece. Oh, wow. But really worth your time. Really? Fantastic documentary. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. I would check that out. The Servants' Quarters. First off, let me say that I'm not sensitive to the paranormal, and I'm always the first to debunk my own experiences. I have a hard time with the concept of God, which makes the concept of death quite bleak, so my interest in this subject stems solely from a desire for definitive proof of an afterlife. I have had a number of experiences, but have always found a way to explain them. This experience is the only one I couldn't. When I first moved to New Orleans, I was lucky enough to find a place in the French Quarter at a great price. Most of the houses in the Quarter consist of a main house with a separate servants' quarters in back. I was to rent the servants' quarters while the main house was being renovated. Between the main house and the servants' house was a small courtyard with a fountain, table with chairs, and a mature magnolia tree. The sides of the courtyard were bordered by the 25-foot tall brick walls of neighboring houses, with no windows or entrances. That sounds like a prison yard, not a courtyard. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. was it? Was there a, a wait stack set up? Because you may have just been in prison. I just, <laughs> I just feel like I should throw People that out. People who would let you in or out of the yeah, courtyard? Yeah, yeah. I'm worried about you here. <laughs> The servants' quarters ran the length of the back of the property, with the only entries and windows facing the courtyard. It consisted of a kitchen, living room, and small bathroom downstairs, with two bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs. There was an exterior spiral staircase and a gallery, a narrow covered balcony, which ran the length of the upstairs. It was classic New Orleans and absolutely beautiful. Now my dog Jerry is a good boy. He never barks, chews my stuff, makes a mess, anything. But he hated this house. From the first day, he experienced severe separation anxiety, having a meltdown every time I left the house. He started to go in the house all the time, which he had never done before, and kept doing it the entire six months we lived there. If I left anything in reach, he would rip it to shreds. I should also mention a move to a new place was not a new experience for him. This was the fourth or fifth move we'd made together, never with this reaction. I couldn't figure it out, and neither could my vet. 
There were countless times where I caught Jerry turning his head as though watching someone walk by, and sometimes this would be accompanied by a low, deep growl. Once, he went to one of the closets and laid, and just laid down in front of it, waiting for something. I sat with him and listened, thinking it was maybe a mouse, but after a while I searched the whole closet and found nothing. Things got more intense when my father came to visit one weekend. On his last day, he came up to me looking troubled and said that something had happened to him the night before. He said he just lay down asleep when he heard a noise in his room. Turning to look, he saw the carpet being slowly bunched up and sliding across the floor. He said it lasted about 30 seconds, but felt like it went on forever, and he was paralyzed with fear the entire time. When he could move again, he turned on the lamp and read a book for the rest of the night. The experience had shaken him so badly, he said, that he wouldn't be staying at my place on his next visit. As I've already mentioned, I like to debunk these things, and so I suggested he had simply experienced sleep paralysis. But my father told me he had had experiences with that, and this was completely different. He hadn't been asleep, and he didn't have the breathing difficulties which usually accompanied his paralysis. He was just frozen by pure terror. Then one evening, I was in my bedroom getting dressed after a shower when I heard something light run the length of the gallery, starting at the stairs past my room and fading at the entrance to the second bedroom. It had weight to it, but it didn't make as much noise as a full-grown person would. I distinctly remember feeling the vibrations and watching the curtain shake with the movement. So when my dog started growling, I grabbed the knife I kept behind my bed, hey, single woman shouldn't take any chances, and crept outside. Nothing. It was still daylight, and I stood there for several minutes listening for anything, going across the roof or through the tree, but there wasn't even a breeze. It was one of those heavy, still, late summer afternoons that are common in August and September here. The final and probably most dramatic experience happened about a month before I moved out. I was sitting in the courtyard with a glass of wine and a book. I was maybe two sips into the wine, so not even feeling it yet. It was late afternoon and my dog was lying at my feet. Out of the silence came three sharp knocks on the window of the living room. I remember hearing the rattle a window pane makes as it moves in its frame. I looked over in time to see the final vibrations in the reflection of the glass. My dog lost his mind. He went absolutely apeshit at the window, so I immediately got up and went into the living room, wine glass in hand, because, hey, glass shards make a better weapon than nothing. And of course, I checked everywhere and didn't find a thing. Remember, there were no back entrances. The only way out was through the gate, which took a good minute and a half to fully open, and made a racket in the process. I even knocked on the back door of the main house to see if any of the workers stayed late, but it was empty. I went back and stood in the doorway of the living room. In a voice loud enough to be heard through the whole building, I said something along the lines of, I understand that this is your house, but I need to share it too, and I asked it to please not do things like that again, as it scares the hell out of Jerry and I. We weren't there much longer, but nothing happened in that final month. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at least it listened. You know what? I just feel so bad for that poor dog. Oh, I know. Um, I watched um, Sixth Sense when I was up at the cabin the other week. Oh, yeah. And that scene You would watch little... a horror movie alone in a cabin <laughs> up on a mountain. You boob. It was great. Um, but that scene where he shoved into the cupboard. Oh, my God, yeah. And he comes out all terrified yeah. and bloody. That's what that dog would have been going through. Oh. Being left alone in that house every day. Of course. He would have been out of his mind. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. And if she's someone who doesn't experience the paranormal, she would have had no idea I take what the she... dog was experiencing. No, but like the level of terror the dog was right, Of course, yeah, yeah. I still take issue with her not being sensitive. Because, Jesus, 
what else has to happen to you? Yeah. Do you have to have a sl- shadow person like come into your room and slap you <laughs> and then show you a fucking PowerPoint presentation? <laughs> yeah, as you can see on the third slide here, <laughs> I am from hell. And you are seeing me. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's swamp gas. <laughs> I love an undigested the, bit of gruel. I love the old swamp gas. This one's called The House. My encounter with the spiritual side of New Orleans happened during my first visit there, one I had looked forward to for a very long time. Being from Georgia, I suppose I felt a sort of kinship with the Crescent City, as it is quite similar to Savannah. The streets of this French Quarter felt familiar, even though I'd never been there before, and all in all, I felt quite at home. My husband David and I timed our visit to coincide with Mardi Gras, and though we arrived several days before the festivities began, the Saints were in the Super Bowl, and so atmosphere was very much one of celebration. One morning, David and I enjoyed a late brunch at the Court of Two Sisters on Royal Street in the Quarter, and then decided to walk and explore. Hand in hand, we made our way down crowded sidewalks, stopping occasionally to listen to street musicians or look into shop windows, and eventually we ended up back on Royal Street. As we approached an intersection, things began to take a strange turn. The weight of the beads around my neck seemed to increase to the point I had to stop walking. I began to feel panicked and ill, which at first David dismissed as the result of having had too much to drink. Ignored, I became frantic. My head was pounding and the beads felt like heavy chains around my neck choking me. I was trying to avoid making a spectacle of myself, but became so uncomfortable that all pride was lost. I began to pull the beads over my head, tossing them to the ground. David was now concerned and tried to calm me as he quickly helped me remove the last few bead strands. He took my hand and tried to lead me across the street, but as we walked, a bird flew towards my head, almost striking me. It then flew to the second-story balcony railing of a gray home opposite us. When I looked up at this house, I knew immediately it was the source of my anxiety. And as my husband was trying to help me across the street so I could sit down, he was unknowingly leading me closer. My unexplained level of fear was almost paralyzing. I pulled back and managed to say, no, it's that house. Get me away from here. Startled, David began to lead me away. We walked a couple of blocks away from the house and then sat down and he began to rub my back. Calmly, he asked, what happened back there? Honestly, I didn't answer. All I knew was one minute I was fine having the time of my life and the next I was a hysterical mess. He helped me up. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. From the bench and said we should go back to the hotel, but I refused to walk back down Royal. I insisted we would have to find another way back. Later at the hotel, he explained how he was worried about me because he could see that I was genuinely afraid and he'd never seen me like that before. 
He thought perhaps it could have been a reaction to something in my drink or maybe even to something I'd eaten. I didn't want to seem crazy, so I agreed, and we put it behind us. It wasn't until the next day, when we were trying to plan our evening, that we discovered a brochure about all the tours of the city. As we flipped through its pages, what did we find? But a picture of that house. According to the brochure, it was called the LaLaurie House. It was featured on a ghost tour as being the most haunted house in New Orleans and the site of torture and murder. The text went on to say that the house finally burned down and the bodies of dozens of slaves were found amongst the rubble, disfigured, mangled, tortured. There's no doubt in my mind that something about that house reached out to me, but I don't know whether it was just an impression of past suffering or something more active. I was so curious to see what you thought about this one, see what your take on this was. I have had a sort of similar experience, not that dramatic. Um, it's when I first moved to Toronto. Okay. So I would have been about 20. And I walked a lot. Like, I just walked everywhere. Partly I had no money for the subway. But right. also I really just enjoyed exploring and seeing this whole new city because it's very different from where I grew up. And I remember walking past quite a spectacular old house amidst all the skyscrapers. And I almost felt like sadness was creeping up my legs. It was like wading into a lake and feeling the cold water around your legs, but the cold just kept climbing. Huh. And it was just this sadness, this depression, this this almost exhausting depression. And I kept walking and it just sort of faded away. It wasn't until much, much longer um, that I became interested in local history more. Uh, and I discovered that that house was the home of quite an important industrialist in, in Toronto's history. Okay. And he had kept a very young uh, girlfriend, one might say. Right. Uh, locked up in a room. Oh, man. In that house in the tower with his wife and kids in the house. Classic. Who never knew about this girl. Oh, man. And eventually she just grew so depressed because she was neglected up there that she threw herself out of the window. And, oh, my God. And and committed And this suicide. is a verified thing. This, this is a verified thing. Um, and that's what led to his downfall was because when this girl um, was found and the wife's like, yeah, I've never seen her before. Like, she's not one of the servants. Right. Because um, he was trying to pass it off as, oh, one of my servants. And then the wife right. was publicly like, yeah, no. Nice um, try, Buster. Nice try, Buster. Um, that kind of ended it for him. But I had no idea any of that was his- historically there. Yeah. But it almost felt like it just came up through the sidewalk. Like you'd, you'd stepped on a sponge. You know when you, like, you squeeze a sponge yeah, and the yeah. water comes out? That's a bit like what it felt like. Like I'd walked onto a sponge and just all this emotion was just coming up out of the sponge. Interesting. So I think, I do believe that that's, Definitely a thing. Um, and maybe this person is just really sensitive or whatever's in that house is just that powerful and wants right. to communicate its story. Yeah, I tend to think that. I, I was the same way. I don't think it's a thing. No. I think it's a residual yes. feeling. And just some people can feel it, some people can't. Yeah. It's just that feeling. You pick up on that energy. And sometimes that energy can be, as this story points out, very concentrated. There was uh, something happened to me very quickly um, in New, pardon me, in Louisiana, just not in New Orleans. And I believe I may have told the story on the show before, but uh, I heard about a, a haunted road near Thibodeau. Okay. And so I was touring around and rented a car. So I drove out that way. And 
I was driving and, uh, yeah, there was some kind of, I, I don't know what, what was the plant, but it was, you know, it was like tall stalks. It wasn't corn. Yeah. Uh, but either side of the road. And as I was coming around a bend, all of a sudden I felt this terrible, terrible weight on my chest. I, I, for a second, I was worried I was having a cardiac event yeah, of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, I, I managed to sort of get a handle on it and I realized, no, this isn't anything to do with me. This is something to do with something that happened here. Right. And then I came around a corner and there were slave quarters oh. lining the road. And they're still oh. standing, sort of a living museum. But uh, yeah, and no coincidence. They've felt been featured on so many paranormal shows because oh, really? there's so much going on in those. I had no idea. Yeah. And people generally, it's a bit like when people go to like Auschwitz or even even the memorial, the Holocaust Memorial in right. Washington, which I've seen. Um, the emotions, like the feelings. Yeah, it was not great. It's I mean, powerful. I, I, yeah. And uh, so, anyways, that's sort of my experience there with, with that kind of thing in New Orleans. Yeah, it was wow. not great. But again, I don't think there was anything there. I think it was just residual. You're pain. walking to the energy. Yeah, yeah. That I I always thought of it as kind of a dent on the spiritual atmosphere. That right. Things almost pool there. Interesting. Because that's a good, there's yeah. this divot in the in the atmosphere. Well, I mean, I I was at uh, uh, when I was in Vancouver last week. I ended up taking my friend out for a drive. We all kind of went out to explore because he'd been cooped up in mm-hmm. a hospital for a long mm-hmm. time. And we ended up at the Riverview Hospital Complex, ah. which is, um, I believe it's it's a former mental hospital mm-hmm. and now is sort of being retrofitted to help uh, as a place for people to work through addiction. Yeah. But it is also, they shoot quite a few movies Big there. Big time. And uh, there it's is- It's going to be in my upcoming book. It is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I actually sent you a couple pictures from there. Yes, you did. I was very excited. <laughs> but, um, the first place we went was, I think the old men's building. Right. And I believe it's one of the few buildings that they're not using at all right now. Oh, wow. Not even for filming. I, maybe for filming. Oh, okay. But it's not being used for any of this, uh, the, the modern uses. Right. It looks quite dilapidated. Yeah. But we literally came over a little rise and then started going down a driveway towards this building. And I have not so badly wanted to turn around from a place in a long time. Wow. Again, didn't feel like there was something there. Just a visceral. Just this residual sense of, nope, this is not a place you want to be. Yeah. And like I say, I think they, sometimes things happen that are just so awful or horrific, or there's almost like a concentration of badness there, like almost like acid eating through a wooden table that it leaves that mark. And not only do people stumble into it, but you can feel it. And other bad energy just seems to pool there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, places where there's been like massacres or horrible things happen, they just seem to leave this damaged level of energy there. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it can be healed. I really do believe that. Right. But I think to heal it, you got to be aware of it. Yeah. And then there has to be a really strong will of energy everyone want to want to heal that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We don't have that collective will. We don't. And I think for a lot of people, they don't want to, they want to wallow in that. Like, you know, you talked about your relative who doesn't want to move on. And I think there are people like that who, who see things that have happened in the world and horrible things. And maybe they can't, maybe that's the last time they ever had contact with their loved one. Like I get it. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm just saying that's why I think time when those people are all gone, that's when those sort of places can begin right. to change. Because there's no one actively impeding the process of exactly. healing. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. This story is called Mimi. 
My grandmother, Mimi we called her, died on September 27, 2005, not long after Hurricane Katrina hit. She had been battling Alzheimer's for eight years, ending up in a New Orleans care home that had to be evacuated because of the storm. It's generally believed that the stress of the move is what finally killed her. Because the cemeteries in New Orleans were unfit for burial until three years after Katrina, Mimi's ashes had been left with my parents and stored at their house. I always found that creepy. Before the Alzheimer's really dug in, Mimi lived in an apartment building for senior citizens, and I would often stay there. There were always pleasant visits. I remember she kept Kit Kats in the fridge because she said they tasted better cold, and I think she was right. I particularly remember the smell of her place. It wasn't a bad smell, you understand. It was her smell. In April 2006, I got married and moved with my husband to Southern California, giving birth to my son in October the following year. My son has never met my grandmother, obviously. All the pictures of her were lost in the hurricane, so he's never seen her, and I don't talk about her around him. I have never mentioned the word Mimi to my son, nor has anyone else. He accompanied me to her internment in November 2008, but her full name was used during the ceremony. In March of 2009, I was back home in SoCal, cleaning up my living room, while my son napped in his room, with the door closed. I had recently started to sell Avon, and had tons of boxes in the living room, so I was clearing them out. All of a sudden, I smelled something that wasn't the apple cinnamon candles I had burning. It was the smell of my Mimi's apartment. Her smell. Now, I own nothing that belonged to her apart from a few items, all of which were locked away in a drawer in my bedroom. One of them, a hand mirror, had sat in hurricane water for some time before it was found and then given to me, so there was no way the smell was coming from that. It quickly went away, and I just brushed it off. An hour or so later, my son woke up and I went in to get him, noticing the faintest smell of Mimi when I walked in the room, but it was instantly gone. My son was standing in his crib, smiling and laughing, and when I placed him on his changing table, he pointed to the ceiling and said, Mimi. I said, no baby, mama, and pointed to myself. He then pointed to me and said, mama, then pointed to the corner of the room nearest to his crib and said, Mimi. I really didn't know what to think at this point, so I said to my son, did Mimi come and play with you? And he just clapped. That night, I put him in his crib at 9 p.m., turned on his musical turtle. I want a musical turtle. <laughs> you are a musical turtle. Oh, thank you. I think. Turned on his lava lamp, then turned off the lights and closed the door. His room is next to our room, and I don't go to bed early, so later on when I was laying there and heard my son talking loudly, I thought, why is he still awake? A look at the clock confirmed it was not just late, but 2 a.m. So I got out of bed, and just as I was about to open his door... I heard him saying, me, 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 and then he would laugh. For some reason, my cheeks started to burn. No idea why this happened. It may have nothing to do with this occurrence. I opened the door and my Mimi's smell hit me. It was so strong in his room that I felt like it would knock me back. Inside, my son was standing up in the crib laughing and bouncing. By the time I got over to him, the smell was fading, and by the time I laid him back down, it was gone entirely. Back in my room and two creeped out to sleep, I read some more and continued to hear my son say Mimi. I don't know when I fell asleep, but I remember dreaming about her. We were sitting in her living room eating Kit Kats, and she said to me, I'm glad you're finally happy. From that day forward, I have not smelled her nor heard my son say Mimi. I am a firm believer that children can see what we adults cannot or choose not to see. And in my heart, I feel that she wanted to meet her great-grandson and check up on me too. I love that. I love stories yeah, like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Especially when the kid had no idea. Nope. You know? Nope. And that, it, 
sell, pardon me, scent is such a powerful thing. It really is. You know, even paranormal aside, just its power to trigger memories is truly yeah. incredible. Well, I told you about that story when my son was 18 months old and my dad was dying. And how he came to say goodbye to my son two days before he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that story resonates with me. That absolutely can absolutely see. And I'm someone who is open and sensitive to the paranormal, and I felt nothing. That really bothered me. Yeah? Yeah, it really bothered me. And and it was my dad's girlfriend at the time who said, you know, your son was the one thing your dad loved with no fear. Right. Right. And he would want to come and say goodbye to him. I'm like, oh, what am I travel over? But, <laughs> but no, yeah. I appreciated that and, and I respected that. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did. I think that's kind of amazing. Does my son remember that? Hell no, but I do. <laughs> as long as someone remembers. Exactly. Taking offense. Back in 1978, while visiting my then fiance who lived in New Orleans, my traveling companion and I decided to drive out to some of the plantations in the countryside while my fiance was at work. We ended up at a plantation located roughly halfway between the city and Baton Rouge. It was a lovely, stately old place situated adjacent to the Mississippi, its banks contained by a high earthen levee. The property had a beautiful stone stairway built into the mound that led to the top of it. Because we were limited on time, we decided to forego the walk up to the top of the levee and made a dash for the house to catch the tour that was about to start. Being the last ones to arrive, we were at the tail end of the group of about 15 people. I was so fascinated with the building, the history, and the stories that came with it, I was oblivious to any emotions or vibrations that the place may have been projecting. On the second floor, we passed from room to room, the furniture and living areas neatly roped off for viewing, but no touching. We just passed through one of the ladies' boudoirs, and being the last in line, we were standing in the doorway waiting for the group to move forward. I had just finished telling my friend that the fully attired dressmakers formed by the window creeped me out. And suddenly, the closet door of a huge armoire adjacent to the doorway swung open and smacked me in the back. Momentarily shocked, I stared at my friend, who was open-mouthed and bug-eyed, for she'd been facing me and had seen it swing open all on its own. We peeked into the closet and found the hanger swinging back and forth. Needless to say, we pushed through the group, some started grumbling, but we didn't care, and stayed in the middle of the pack until the end of the tour. We said a quick thank you to the tour operator at the end and headed back to our car and drove away. Once on the main road, we started jabbering, like it was now okay to talk, going over and over what happened. We came to the conclusion that I had offended someone with my comment. By the time we got home, we were exhausted. That was a lot of words for a uh, door opened. <laughs> my concern is... Did they tip the tour operator? <laughs> I guarantee you they did not. <laughs> oh, they so seldom do. <laughs> I remember I did a, uh, a plantation house tour down uh, when I was down there. And I, I can't remember where it was. I think it was near Homa. But uh, it, it was strange. You know, they're... In what way? I, I, I mean, just knowing what the plantation houses how it was built yeah. what it was built on yeah yeah it was and just, they're like our southern charm is uh, prevalent throughout the property yeah and i mean yeah. it was charming and I, again i like the south but there's a certain amount there's of, a line there there's yeah. a line there i mean uh, hugo boss made all the uh, outfits for the nazi officers really yeah there's a little piece of history they don't put on the posters no kidding right all volkswagen right. the people's oh, wagon yeah yeah that much i Hitler. Knew. i mean there's all these wacky little roots that as human beings, we kind of tend to not want to think about. Yeah, fair enough. 
Uh, but anyways, it was a lovely house. But the thing I was fascinated by once I got over to just sort of the, you know, remember when we used to own people in nostalgia <laughs> was apparently the wallpaper is tacked down. Right. Almost like a cloth. Okay. Old yeah. School yeah. wallpaper. Yeah. And the house is up on risers. Right. With sort of a skirting. Sure. So, of course, they didn't have air conditioning back in those days. So the way they did it was the air, they built the house in such a way that the air would kind of blow in through the bottom and circulate through the house and then up through the spire. And on really windy days, I guess, the wallpaper billows like lungs. Can you imagine how freaky that would be? Yeah, no, not In this vast cavernous old house creaking like hell in the middle of the sticks and then the wallpaper just sucking in and blowing (laughs) out. Hard pass, sir. I'll be at the Holiday Inn. Yeah, that's exactly Enjoy your stay. This one's called Ants in the Bed. This experience happened while my husband and I were in New Orleans after our Aunt Rita passed away while she was on vacation in St. Lucia. Aunt Rita's body had been in St. Lucia for about three to four weeks because of customs issues with transferring a body out of the country, and we had been staying at her home in the Ninth Ward for about a week of that. We had brought along our two children and close family friends who brought their two boys along with her cute little cocker spaniel, Khaki. The children kept complaining that Khaki was barking at different corners in the house and seemed upset. We just brushed it off as a dog not being used to staying in a strange house. Aunt Rita's house was still under repair from Hurricanes Rita and Katrina, so some of the bedrooms were being used for storage and weren't suitable for sleeping. We ended up putting the children in the front room and our friends in the back bedroom, leaving Aunt Rita's room for me and my husband. My husband was not a fan of this idea, as he thought it was disrespectful, and we debated it for a long time. After a nine-hour drive with a car full of people, I truly didn't care whose room we slept in so long as it had a bed, and after a while, I managed to convince my husband to see things my way. At about two or three in the morning, I woke up with a start because I heard something that sounded like someone striking the bed as hard as they could with an open hand. I also heard a man's voice shout, Ants in the bed. I looked around the room and at the foot of the bed saw what looked like TV static in the shape of a man. I thought to myself, you have got to be kidding me. Did a freaking ghost just wake me up? I thought about it for a few seconds and decided I was too tired to be scared or even interested. So I closed my eyes and tried to go back to sleep. That's ballsy. I respect it. Within a few seconds, I felt a very firm grip around my neck and it kept applying pressure slowly but steadily until I was having a hard time breathing. I started reciting the Lord's Prayer and felt the pressure being released. So I continued the prayer until the ghost released me from his grip. I smiled and thought, you punk ghost, you know who my father is, you better run. Oh, come on. I can, I understand this because I was raised in this tradition that you can boss around whatever you want because God's on your side. So I, I am, I'm not saying this is correct. I'm just saying I understand this bravado because that is what you're taught. Right. And... I just imagine being like the guy who stands behind Jesus going, yeah, yeah. yeah what well, he said, you're a big but, dummy. Well, but it's intentionality. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's right. intentionality. And that, that's all this is. It may not be in a shape you like or approve of, <laughs> but this is her intentionality. Well, it, it's not even that, um, it's not even that she it's used the, the Lord's prayer. Bravado, yeah, it's like, yeah, you punk ghost. My God can beat up your God. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Because you're godless. Yeah, exactly. I, I just don't like that. <laughs> I get it. After about one minute, the ghost came back and put its hands around my neck again. Yeah, see, this ghost, he doesn't like it either. No. This time it was hesitant and didn't apply as much pressure as the first time. So I said, Jesus is Lord. It let me go. And this time I no longer felt its presence. Oh boy. The next morning I told the others about what had happened. And they theorized that maybe whatever it was didn't want us sleeping in Rita's bed. My husband thought it may even have been Aunt Rita, but I'm positive it wasn't our beloved aunt, but some cruel man. 
we couldn't at all puzzle out what ants in the bed meant. This was not the only time ants in the bed made an appearance. He showed up while we were having a family dinner after Aunt Rita's service. He slammed and locked her bedroom door when everyone in the house was in the front eating. All of us heard it, and when my husband's father went to the back, he could not open the door. He was really confused until I told him about what had happened to me a few weeks earlier. My father-in-law is a minister. He asked me a lot of questions about what happened with me and the ghost, and then after a while, we all went back to the front to finish dinner. By the time dinner was over, the ghost had unlocked and opened the bedroom door. I often wonder what my father-in-law had said to the ghost to get it to unlock that door. Look, man, I'm sorry about the Jesus thing. <laughs> she genuinely thinks that he will come and fight you. She doesn't know any better. I, you know, I think, I don't think it's ants in the bed. I think it's ants bed. Uh, I think that's what the ghost was saying. Right. Ants bed. Oh, interesting. Right. And so whatever it is, I, here's what I'm getting from this. This ghost belongs to that house. Right. It adored Aunt Rita. Right. It was Aunt Rita's ghost. Right. And so when it, you think about it, you've got this lovely, classy, probably quite wealthy older lady. Right. Living a certain lifestyle on her own and very genteel in this big, beautiful house. These pikers turn up. That she's working on and repairing. Yep. Bringing back to its former glory. This ghost likes her. Then these jokers show up with all their children (laughs) and their friends and their friends' children and a friggin' dog. I wouldn't want them in there either. And I think the last straw was these people sleeping in Ant's bed. Yeah. Right? Ants. I can't believe they didn't get there themselves. Well, we're just smarter. Well, and handsome, but <laughs> that's not the point. That's what I thought when I heard that. So instead of just doing her best John Wayne while talking about Jesus, she could have been figuring this shit out and going, oh, maybe I'm just a garbage Maybe person. I'm just overstepping my bounds. I got Jesus on my side, partner. <laughs> Y'all best get to stepping. Oh my God. You know who my father is. <laughs> my dad's going to beat up your dad. Just to be clear, this is not a listener story. Yes. No, no, no We're no. not making fun of anyone. No. Well, I'm making fun of this person, but well, they're fair, not one of our listeners. No, they're not. So they're fair game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's what I think. I don't think it's ants in the bed. It's ants, ants bed. bed. Yeah. Makes sense. And basically get out. He was really upset by this. Well, they seem like garbage people, as I said. So, <laughs> um, Funny enough, the TV static thing, uh, someone I interviewed in Revelstoke had that happen. Really? Yeah, and it was sort of a similar scenario. They, the people who owned the house beforehand were uh, an older Italian couple and right. were very, very sort of possessive about the place. House proud, very house proud. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as I recall, uh, I'm a bit hazy on the details now, but you can read the whole thing in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere, fine books are sold. Or just Amazon. Yeah, mostly Amazon. <laughs> uh, but um, I believe one of them actually pushed her, the person who told me the story, she was pushed so hard she broke her arm. Whoa! Or, uh, pardon me, no, what happened was there was a third person staying in the house with this couple. Right. She was not being respectful to the home. Right. She was pushed so hard into something she broke her arm. Wow. Yeah. And the other, the couple would sometimes see these TV static-like figures wandering the house. Good grief. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I find that a fascinating thing. Yeah. Me. This is our last story for our New Orleans episode, and this story is called The Puppets. By trade, I'm a freelance writer and have been known to make up stories for the purpose of selling them, but this is not one of those stories. This story doesn't have the dramatic heft or resolution you need in convincing fiction. That said, this is the single scariest thing that has ever happened to me, and you could argue it affected me more profoundly than any other event in my childhood. New Orleans, 1991. 
the first time I encountered something supernatural. I was about seven years old and faking sick so I could stay home from school because I didn't want to face a kid who'd been picking on me during recess. So there I am, faux sick, and lounging on the sofa in my grandparents' living room when the sound of my grandmother coming down the stairs filters in from the foyer. I quickly close my eyes, getting into character. I hear my grandmother enter the den and shuffle around for a moment, gathering her things, the jingle of keys, the snap of a wallet. After a few more moments of shuffling, I hear the side door in the attached rec room shut and then a car starting outside. I wait a few beats just to be safe and then I open my eyes. Creak. The sound comes from the attached rec room I just mentioned, which is actually an add-on my grandfather had converted from a two-car garage. The room is fully equipped with a wraparound sofa, a stocked bar, a closet full of G.I. Joes, and a large state-of-the-art stereo system circa 1991. Right now, my focus is on that toy closet. The only thing that divides the den and the rec room is a four-inch carpeted drop, so I can clearly see across to the closet, which is built into the room's far wall. And to my seven-year-old wide-eyed amazement, I can see that closet door is slowly opening. I can't move. My eyes are fixed on the door as it casually swings open. This isn't a draft or overzealous hinges. Something is wrong here. I can feel it in my bones, just as clearly as I do now, years later, as I type these words. Is she gone? The voice is a distinct whisper, clear and yet somehow not right. The way it seems to hum on the last syllable of every word, sort of like the vibration you can hear when a bass note is played through an old amplifier. I can still hear that voice, as clear as day in my memory. I wish I couldn't, but I can. The first one leans out. He's shorter than the doorknob, and looks for lack of a less ridiculous reference like a humanoid puppet from the American children's show Sesame Street. Fuzzy, light pink skin, with a shiny black nose, big cartoonish eyes, and a tuft of troll doll-like hair atop his football-shaped head. The only difference is this little guy isn't being puppeted by anyone, and his legs are clearly visible. Seven-year-old me is so fascinated by this aspect that I'm suddenly overwhelmed by the desire to get closer, to get a better look at this puppet person. My fear takes a back seat to my childish curiosity as I begin to sit up. Then comes the grunt. What seems to be an affirmative response to the first puppet's question, this new voice brings me to a halt. If there was something vaguely creepy about the first one's tone, then this second one's own voice is downright disturbing. People don't sound like that. Make the uh-uh sound without opening your mouth. Did it sound sort of like mm-hmm? Now imagine that sound but louder and with a bass-like hum to it. The first puppet exits the closet, followed by his nearly identical companion, the two of them are only visible for a moment as they hurry behind the rec room's wraparound sofa. Once again, my fear subsides, giving away to curiosity. Trying my best to not make a sound, I slip down off the den sofa and slowly crawl across to the rec room. The first puppet is now apparently bending over something behind the rec room sofa, and his little denim rear end, they're both wearing faded gray denim overalls, is now poking out from behind the wraparound couch. I make my way across the rec room, still on my hands and knees, following the long end of the wraparound sofa over to where I can see the first puppet's butt poking out. I'm inches away when I finally stop crawling. Too afraid to go any closer, I can't even bring myself to poke my head around the bend in the sofa. 
I reach out and place a hand on the puppet's back, saying in a timid whisper, Hey. The thing instantly whirls around, its big puppet eyes now glaring at me as I retract my hand. It leans around the corner of the sofa, bringing us face to face, and I open my mouth to say something, though I'm not sure what it would have been. The puppet darts out a hand and pinches my arm, hard, harder than I've ever been pinched before or since, hard enough to break the skin on my forearm and and inevitably cause a small scab to form. Without a thought, I'm up and across to the side door and then out onto the lawn where I wait for what feels like hours until my grandmother finally comes back. She starts to scold me as she exits the car, something about faking sick just so I could go outside and play, but then she sees my face. At first, I don't want to tell her what took place. Even at seven years old, I'm aware that these kinds of things just plain don't happen. But then she asks about the tiny smear of blood on my arm and I break down. I tell the condensed version of the story. I even admit to fake sleeping earlier when she was leaving, after my grandmother tries to insist that it was all nothing more than a bad dream brought on by the fever I'd been faking all day. I don't admit to faking sick, of course, that would just be reckless, so the conversation ends there, at least as far as my grandmother's concerned. For me, though, to this day, it's still a constant debate. Am I simply crazy, or did scary-ass puppet people actually dwell in the toy closet of my grandparents' rec room? I didn't say it was a logical debate. I can remember weeks afterwards sitting in class or wherever and looking at the scab on my arm and every time thinking, oh yeah, that happened. That actually happened. Siri, order adult diapers. (laughs) What is this Toy Story nightmare bullshit? (laughs) Wow. Toy Story slash Sesame Street slash Chucky. I'll come by and in one. I have never heard anything like that. I haven't either. That's completely new to me. That is... Okay, I shouldn't say that. I've heard stories about people who are high seeing elves. (laughs) A friend of mine was in a a car accident years ago and they gave him Percocet. And he actually told the doctor, no more Percocet. Because all night he dreamed about elves in tiny biplanes. Really? Peeling off strips of his skin. What? Yeah. Wow. And uh, so... But that other than that, I've never heard. And people on DMT have talked about machine elves. But never walking out of grandma's closet on a sunny afternoon. No. No. Holy crap. Yeah, no, that's really scary. And if this person isn't blowing smoke, what is that? I mean, again, were they elves? Were they? And he's right, though. It's not set up like a usual story. No, that's it. It's definitely a very weird experience. Yeah. Yeah, what was it? What did he see? What was his mind seeing... And interpreting and that interpreting way. that way, yeah, yeah, exactly. of course, because odds are that he wasn't seeing exactly what he no, describes. No, he's just sort of putting as best a description to it as he can. And what were they doing? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, no. Oh, that was fun. Woo. That was a fun way to end. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm just gonna sleep on your couch tonight. I hope that's okay. I'll just come <laughs> back home with you, sleep on your couch, not sleeping on my own. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's a good thing it's a big couch. Don't sleep on the other side. Jesus. All right. Well, that is going to do it for the haunting of New Orleans. Hope you enjoyed those stories. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And that puppet one is going to stay with me. Yeah, no, that's creepy. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our patron shout outs and listener mail.
back. Big thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain, for their Big work on this thanks. episode. Yeah. Yes, they, they dug through a lot of stuff. Yeah. I know we, we sort of had what we thought was our final tally, and then there wasn't quite enough. So they went and dug a little more, and no, they just uh, they found some great, great stuff. I guess first up, we'll go to our patron shoutouts. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. They are Winter, Flip Spin, Lydia Sonderman, Stephen Belsito, Fenn, Selena Chowan, and Isa. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. I cannot tell you how much it means, mm-hmm. especially right now as I am yes. flat ass broke. Yes. <laughs> this no, is really helping me pay my rent. I, you know, it just means the world to us. So thank you so much. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one five twenty and fifty dollar levels. Pardon me, one five ten mm-hmm. twenty and fifty dollar levels. Yeah. The rewards start at five dollars. You get uh well, I guess technically the rewards start at $1. You get a shout out on the show. But the tangible rewards start at $5. You get an exclusive sticker designed by Canadian artist Wanda Frazier. Mm-hmm. You get access to all of our bonus content, which includes the monthly water cooler episode where you and I talk about the movies we've been watching, food we've been eating, and all the other stuff we've been doing that doesn't fit into the main show. You also get the now uh, monthly Luke Lore episodes. You get them one month ahead of the general public. Yes. And that is Luke doing companion shows to the regular episodes. Like a mini show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just five to 10 minutes, uh, talking about folklore on various topics. The first one, which is out now for patrons is the Wendigo. That'll be open to the public. The video will be available to the public on the 4th of, pardon me, the 3rd of May. And the next one is going to be the Beast of Gévaudan mm. as an accompaniment, as accompaniment to the Haunting of France episode. You sounded very cultured when you said that. Say What's it again. Givaudan. Oh my God. Ha ha ha. Wee wee. This after I was complimented on my French. I'm sorry. No, that was really good. I mean it. Oh, thank you. Cool. Okay. I know you're not used to me being nice to you. No, it's so weird. <laughs> I feel so exposed. Wait, you want me to drive you home? Like, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you need? <laughs> I can't lend you money. I'm super poor. <laughs> At the $10 level, you get access to our monthly live show, which we just recorded tonight. And that's just kind of a way for us to interact directly with you guys, answer your questions, and eh, just kind of hang out for anywhere from half an hour to an hour once a month. The other tiers are great too. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so head on over to patreon.com slash ghost guys to learn more about that. Now it's time for our listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. So as always, I'd like to thank everyone who writes in. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your stories and what you think about the show. Even if you think we stink. Yeah. It's just nice knowing you're out there. Bring it. uh, Hey, maybe you can help us improve. That's right. So this time around, we'd like to thank Melanie. Tim. Rin. Lisa. Elliot. Arwen. Carolyn. Emily. May, Ruth, Tabitha, Simon, Martha, Aiden, Asia, Kayla, Isa, and Leticia. Oh, and also there's another Kayla. Yes. Yes. And we also just received a message from Sierra, which we it actually came in while we were recording. So we thought we would answer that one on air. Yes. Sierra um, came on one of the ghost tours a couple weeks ago with some friends. And so um, she sent us this email, which is actually kind of interesting. Hey again, just wondering if either of you guys had any experiences with the chapel at the Royal Jubilee Hospital here in Victoria. I've spent a great, uh, I've spent a fair bit of time there in the past couple of days and walking in feels very much like walking through an energetic wall and sitting there is absolutely exhausting. 
just curious if it's because it's a hospital or if there are maybe any stories you've heard. I did a little research and I didn't come up with anything. Well, yes, Sierra, actually, um, in my regular human job working at the police department, many of my student volunteers go on to work in security over at the hospital. And one of their jobs is uh, doing patrol through the hospital late at night. And I have heard tons of stories about the Royal Jubilee, especially the older part. Um, It is just a place full of very unsettled energy. Part of that reason could be it was originally built to be um, a mental institution. There was a a large mental institution component to the Royal Jubilee, but of course it uh, got overrun, it got overfilled, um, and which is how the facility Brenham was talking about earlier, Riverview, was built. Right. Um, and then the Royal Jubilee became like a regular quote unquote hospital. Um, so, yes. There are lots and lots of stories. Uh, I have many friends who are, as I said, security guards there who don't want to walk through certain parts by themselves. So you experiencing this, not a shock to me at all. And you saying that now, it makes sense that I am always drawn to drive past there Ah. at night. And I've always wanted to spend more time in there taking pictures. Right. And I never could figure out why. I'm, of course, always drawn to places that have shit going on so that yeah. makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah it's a it's a pretty wild place whenever i have to get medical tests i always read the letter carefully am i going to vic general which was built like 20 years ago right or am i going to the jube oh no <laughs> so yeah i got I mean, it. vic general's pretty gross too it's got its own energies it does but they're i don't know the jubilee is much more present yeah yeah, no, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying yeah well, Sierra, yeah, so that's that's your answer. Thanks for writing. Yeah. I uh, hope you're in the hospital, uh, not for any bad reasons. I know. So you're on vacation, so that's yeah. that's not good. No, I don't want to hear but that. No, no, no. no only so. tell me good things. That's all I am capable of processing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we have the emotional bandwidth of an old dial-up modem. And hamsters. Yes. Yes. Uh, but no, I hope everything's cool. So that's going to do it for listener mail. If you have a story you want to share or something you want to tell us, find us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. You can also reach us at Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost story guys but we do recommend email as the best way to get hold of us facebook messages sometimes slip through the gaps as do instagram messages which we do get we do get quite a few instagram messages but yeah if you want to share a story or something of that nature email is the best way to go yeah absolutely and you can find us on instagram at instagram.com slash the ghost story guys we have what i like to think is a uh, pretty sweet account mostly it's a lot of Bad jokes, but with a little bit of supernatural content thrown <laughs> yeah, in. And memes, which we all sort of contribute to. And But if you start talking to someone on Instagram, it's most likely Brennan. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I handle the Instagram. I will duck in and read things from time to time, but you're talking to Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So again, thanks to everyone who wrote in. And uh, we look forward to hearing from the next group of folks who get a hold of us. Absolutely. So do we have anything coming up? I don't think we do. No, I've got some ghost walks coming up uh, next month. But other than that, no. Pretty quiet. Pretty quiet on the Western Front. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, no, pretty quiet for me too. Okay. Waiting to see if work starts. And uh, if not, I'm going to have to start driving for Skip the Dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can like come by my house and bring me food people don't want. I probably would do that I'm like a human coyote. (laughs) I don't want to say it, but. Whatever scraps. I'll eat them. Like Cookie Monster, but for garbage. Exactly. Well, like a raccoon, really. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Fair, I fair, fair. I don't sleep very well. I'm kind of antisocial. I'll eat garbage. I'm all there. God help us. <laughs>
Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Share us with your friends. Yeah. The show is growing nicely and it's because of things like that. It's because of word of mouth. Yeah. You know, absolutely. we, we've been heard over the last, I don't know, a uh, couple months we've been heard in something like 75 countries. Wow. So it's kind of, which is insane. But Brennan Ian, take on the world. Yes, right. And the world goes, eh, <laughs> Oh, your confidence is staggering. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's, I don't know, it's just kind of wild, but it's all because of you. Yeah. Telling your friends, sharing the show. We yeah, we don't advertise. It. We don't like have <laughs> no, ads no. going anywhere. No it podcast is literally, has money for that. Literally word, word of mouth. No, some podcasts do, because I used to listen to Google Music, like the free version. Right. And they were always like touting stupid podcasts. Oh, really? Always. Interesting. And it was like, ugh. So then I finally broke down and paid for it. Oh, to get taxed. Yeah. 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 I'm like that with Spotify. I, I don't do ads. I pay for the premium. Yeah. 10 bucks a month. I listen to so much music. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. But on Google. Music. Yeah. Fair. Same thing. Either books. I, I think Google pays a bigger share to artists. So oh, that's, okay. Yeah. You know, less, less evil. Yeah. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our Redbubble store at abit.ly slash GSG merch, or just go to ghoststoryguys.com and click the link on the page. Yeah. And we've got some great stuff up there. The neon shirts have been really popular. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, designed by Canadian artist Becky Campbell. They're a, a neon take on our classic logo. Love it. They're pretty sweet. Uh, we're, we got one for, uh, well, I, I picked one up, and then we just got one in for Becky herself. We're gonna oh, ship cool. It off to her. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to get one. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're uh, pretty sweet. So again, you can find those at our Redbubble store and you can find that at ghoststoryguys.com. If you want to pick up either of our books, Ian's is Victoria's Most Haunted, Mine's is A Strange Little Place. They're both available on Amazon. And as I like to say, everywhere fine books are sold, but mostly Amazon. <laughs> and chapters. And chapters. Yeah, mine is in chapters. It's actually in a few more chapters now. Nice. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I cut this out of my last show, but I actually had pretty solid sales last uh, second half of last it's year. making a resurgence. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. good. I'd like to thank Peter of Pizzanta Music for our intro and outro music. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Been loving the pictures of his little kid, him mm-hmm. and Mary walking around with a little guy. Adorable. He's on Instagram there. I want to thank Sarah, who has joined the team as sort of president of the book club once I finally get that off the ground. Yes, thank you, and Sarah. And just generally taking care of our Twitter, which you can find at twitter.com slash guys, And working on some graphic stuff, which has yeah. been fantastic. So great to have Sarah on board. Thank you so much for helping us out. The music on this show has been licensed through Epidemic Sound. You can find them at epidemicsound.com and they are your one-stop shop for all your pod-safe music and sound effects needs. We've been with Epidemic for two years now and have been very happy with the service. Again, you can find them at epidemicsound.com. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show and until then, into the darkness we go. Took me from behind on Aunt Rita's credenza. That's right. Pass me that doily. I got. Ah, oh my god! I know a guy who did that. He fucked his cousin, and uh, it was so loud that everyone knew what was happening. And they knew because separately, each of them had kind of gone around the campsite and gone like, "I know we're technically related, but is it weird?" And then when they heard the sounds of boning later, yeah, no, they know who it was. Yeah.
That's an awkward family reunion. Or is that kind of standard? <laughs> no, that is not a that is not a common practice that, of my people. Okay, well, you so know, I didn't want to be disrespectful to so people's customs. <laughs> that was, yes, you people. mountain people. I just like talking like this. <laughs> it makes me very happy. Chef Boyardee? How dare you say that? <laughs> That's our word. I love your pasta. Ah, it's very good. <laughs> Mostly my wife cooks. I take all of the credit. I am, after all, an Italian male. I still live in her basement. I'm a 45 years old. I don't know how a washing machine works. But uh, if Italy ever does anything remotely good, I will drive around like I did it myself with my bare hands. Oh, my God. Trailing a Italian flag out the window like a jackass. I've seen you in Little Italy in Toronto. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, it was you. For now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go fall asleep on the couch in my underpants. <laughs> well, your mom makes more sauce. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to make it. It does not make itself. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 